Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips from RelationshipGPSProject.com. So the question is, how are people like us who didn't grow up being taught how to have an authentic relationship or have any great relationship role models? who are facing the usual challenges and stresses of work and life. How do we get over breakups, get into authentic relationships, and maintain love and connection with all of the challenges of the modern world without losing our identity or sanity? That is the question, and my quest is to give you the answers. I really like your website and your podcast because what it's doing is it's it's taking something that I, I suspect a lot of physicians, wives, and people in similar positions feel but don't really have anywhere that they can talk about because it doesn't meet stereotype. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. That was the whole point of, of kind of starting it was finding that it's, it's interesting that I think as a society, a lot of our stereotypes have gone away. We've gotten much more open about many things, but the physician spouse stereotype still holds true, especially if you're a female married to a male um, physician, it can definitely hold true that you somehow just want to like wear high heels and go shopping. I I don't know. It's, it's pretty bad. (laughs) Okay. So, so um, yeah, I'd like to to ask you about that. So so we have a a slightly different system here in the UK because we have the NHS. um, And so what did you perceive was the, stereotype of a physician's wife um, and how did that differ from the reality? I think the stereotype is that is that of a trophy wife you know that definitely holds true one that um, is just kind of in the shadow of their spouse you know that's not how we want to be or who we even are you know we're very active in our communities we come in all shapes and sizes we have our own interests our own careers our own ambition you know it's funny I interview on my show I interview both men and women and sometimes when I talk to the males um, married to females I'll often they often get things like oh, how wonderful that you're supporting your wife or your partner in medicine, right? Like, good for her, like, hashtag women in med, right? Like, let's support all the women in medicine. This is so great and forward thinking. So they get kind of accolades for that. Whereas Mm -hmm. a female married to a male, why do you even work? You know, like we're sometimes asked, like, why do you have a job? Like, why do you even bother? Or, you know, the assumption is that we just, you know, we have no ambition. And and instead of like, good for you for supporting your spouse because it's extremely hard and you're keeping the family together and you're doing all these things to make them successful, just as the male partner would be for the female partner. Um, it's more of like, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're just getting a free ride or something. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's that's something um, I had in mind to ask you about because I think the perception is it, it's a wife more often, um, and 
so a lot of what you've talked about is is the difficulty of it um, in supporting them. And a lot of that is the perception and, and having to feel like you kind of let go of your ego needs and, and, and sort of take a deferential place. And I was, I was thinking that must be because we still do have these gender stereotypes and even though society's moved on, it's, they, they still are there in most people's minds. So that must be really difficult for a man that doesn't have, you know, unless he has a, a high powered job as well, that's going to be quite difficult for him to take that secondary place even more yeah, so than for a woman. Be. It can be at times for sure. And so while society might look at them and say, you know, that's really kind of you or generous of you to give up your career for a time during their training. It's true that sometimes they can feel like they're less than um, if they don't uh, work through that. And so it can be very difficult to be a physician spouse for a number of reasons, but it can also be very good and positive and we can have happy relationships, but we just have to keep kind of clear headed about it. And I don't know what the stats are in the UK, but I know in the US about 50% now of our medical students are female. So it's definitely, definitely goes both ways. In talking about the stereotype, one of the things that I was quite surprised was um, I needed to look, uh, I needed to change my mum and dad's um, doctors. And so we were looking, we looked, I looked at different sites and, and in the UK, they display like the average salary that the doctor in that practice makes. And I was quite shocked that I always suspected that doctors were much more, much better paid than, than they actually seem to be. And so that was one of the uh, shocks in my perception. What other areas would you say that people have a, a perception that's out of, you know, aside from the trophy wife, and, and, and that might not be the case in America, because I know there is a difference because NHS and things like that. But are there any other glaring misperceptions that people like myself might have? Yeah, well, definitely finances is a big one um, that you that you mentioned. Um, salaries are not as high as you might assume, especially in primary care. Um, and then another thing that that we have a lot of is debt um, here in our country and getting through school itself. You end up with six figure debt. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. So yeah, you may qualify for a loan for a nicer home, but you don't have better savings. You don't have better retirement. You're not, you don't really have wealth. Like there may be money coming in and out, but you really are not established um, financially. And so that's a misperception. What other things? I think, I think it's just really easy to romanticize it you know, but their the schedule is very difficult, um, especially during training years, but depending on their specialty, the, the hours can be extremely difficult even beyond um, the training years. Um, and so that's, that's another stereotype where you just think, oh, you know, they come home at five o'clock and have dinner with you or whatever. And that's certainly not the case. And so when you add children, um, it can get complicated, right? Because there's a lot of, lot of moving factors. There's also, I think, the perception that a physician would be in great health, where the truth is physicians um, obviously are human, and so they have um, all the 
biological things that can go wrong with you, but they also have extreme mental health issues. And we know that physician suicide rates are quite high. What a lot of people don't realize is that physician spouse suicide rates are also high. And so when we talk about um, these pressures and things, it's easy to kind of joke them off as, you know, these silly stereotypes, but there's also, there's also kind of the, the, sad truth of it is no like these are real problems like there really is a higher suicide rate among physicians and there is a higher suicide rate among physician spouses and also i noticed there i i think they're in the uk i think the third or fourth occupation that's most likely to be uh alcoholic um, oh oh for sure i've done a few shows on alcoholism and it's just another way, I think, of, of buffering with the stress of the, that the career brings. Hmm. And it's also, I suppose, because people look to their doctor um, for, to be the resource for them for those kind of things. And so there's, there's a sense of pride and a sense of failure if they're not able to, to, do, to live up to the image um, and feeling like they should be able to solve it themselves. And yet you're, you're dealing with that's emotional issues against logic, because I mean, logically, most of us know what we need to eat, you know, what we need to do to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, we don't do it because of. Right. And when it comes to mental health, like it's hard enough to go to anyone and ask for help, but for a physician, that's often a peer yeah. Um, yeah. because of the way insurance is structured. You often need to go see someone within your medical group. And so, you know, there's not enough privacy there. And, and that's, that's not something that a lot of people are going to choose to do is go talk to kind of their peer, if you will, yeah. about their, you know, their mental health, because that's something so personal. Okay. So I'm really interested. What I'd like to get now is, is, is your kind of journey that you, um, I was reading on your site that this wasn't really what you signed up for because uh, you, um, sorry, it's Josh, isn't it? Your husband. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, so Josh was going to be a, a teacher like yourself and um, then, so and you kind of, I'm not sure I remember in the timeline, if you got married on that, on that basis or it was, it was, you were kind of committed in a relationship and then suddenly he decided he wants yeah, to I think it had always been in his mind, you know, kind of the back of his mind that he was interested in medicine. Um, but when we met, he was a math major and he's like, I'll probably teach. And I thought, this is great. I teach, you teach, we'll have summers off together. We'll have, you know, nice state retirement, modest little house. Like that, that's my level. Like I'm, I'm cool with that, you know, just security, stay in one place, raise the kids in the same school district. You know, I was fine with that. And um, he got more interested in medicine um, and decided to, to take the MCAT. And he only applied to one medical school, happened to get in. And I didn't know anything about the medical journey. Um, didn't have any family or close friends that had gone through it. So I was very naive to the whole process. And in my mind, um, I fell into the role of many of these stereotypes. I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, you know, you'll make good money. This will be great. I imagined him perhaps being a pediatrician or something like that. So I knew that medical school was four years. And then I knew after that, 
you had to do a little more training, but I didn't know much about it. I didn't know how much you were paid during that time, but I was like, okay, we can handle four more years of school. And when he started medical school, it took us 10 years and six-figure debt to finally be done. <laughs> and we also lived in five different states. Now, I will say that our journey was a little bit um, longer than it had to be um, because of some choices that we made. But it is common that you'll train in two to three different locations. Um, and depending on specialty, it can take quite a bit of time. So I, I didn't know when he started medical school, what that would mean for sure. I didn't know it was gonna mean a decade of my life. <laughs> but it's been an adventure though, and I'm, I'm proud of him. He's worked really hard, and um, it, it's been good that, that, uh, that he's there, but it has certainly had its ups and downs and, and can be a real stress on a medical family. I'd like to kind of pick into your experience and your, and your brain. Not, not necessarily just doctors' wives or spouses, but also anyone that's got that, that kind of career-driven path that their spouse has to commit to. Now, I can imagine that you were settled and maybe, you, you know, some of them, those times you were settled, maybe you had a house that you liked, an environment that you liked, and you've kind of lost some of your independence in being able to choose that and you've had to sacrifice that and and you may i can't remember if if you were working at some of the times and and but you would have had to have given up your job to to follow josh that must have felt that must have been hard for you to deal with personally and also as a couple there must be resentments and bitterness how did you deal with that i think for us what was really important was that okay well let me back up we didn't do this perfectly right <laughs> like we we had our struggles i did at times think you know how would my life be different if we weren't on this trajectory and would i be happier i still feel like to this day i'm my very first teaching job was amazing i loved it and in a different life i could see myself retiring from that junior high um, and just living there 30 years and, and loving that school. And so it is hard sometimes, but what really made the difference was when I evaluated the situation and said, you know what, but I'm making this choice. Josh isn't making me do this. Medicine isn't making me do this. You know, in marriages, we hear a lot of times the advice to, um, well, divorce should never be an option. You know, you hear this a lot. Just if you think divorce is an option, you'll end up getting divorced. I actually try to teach people that I work with that divorce is always an option. And the reason why I think that's more powerful is because then you're recognizing your choice in the situation. So at any point, I could have said, I'm done with this. I, I want my teaching job. I don't want to move to freezing cold Wisconsin in January. I don't want to do that. You know, so it was still my choice. I valued my marriage and my relationship and I made a choice, albeit a hard choice at times, but it was still my choice and it was my ability to make my own choices. And then here's where it gets tricky again. Once you make that choice, you need to honor that choice. And so if you live in the past and say, oh, coulda, woulda, shoulda, then you're not gonna get very far. So you have to then go forward 
and say, okay, this is the choice I've made. What's the best we can do from this point forward? Um, but I think it's really important that we remember that that marriage is a choice um, and that, you know, our attitudes within our marriage is a choice. And it can be very, very easy to blame medicine or blame any type of demanding career, blame, um, you know, your spouse because they chose that career or they have that job. But I don't think that that serves us best. No, definitely. And, and I think it's, I think that's a really good point. I always think that you have to, for you to really have the relationship you want, you have to have the ability to leave the relationship as well. Um, like you say that, you know, knowing that you have the full range of choices, this is what I'm going to choose and this is what I'm going to commit to and honor with. Okay. So, um, how much uh, did that require a lot of negotiation and, and communication between you to, to work through that? Or was this something that you did yourself and then it was final or did it involve? I think for, in our experience, you know, medicine calls the shots a lot of times. Um, when you go through, um, when you finish medical school here in the States, you go through a process called the match process where essentially you are assigned um, where you are going to go live and work. Um, you do get a little bit of say in that they can't assign you to any place that you have not interviewed at and ranked, but if you rank 20 places, they can sign you to number 20. And so there is um, some lack of control there that you give up to medicine and allow medicine to call the shots. Um, so I knew that that was going to be part of the process and I went willingly I didn't have any problem with that at the onset of it however after you move you know moving is a, a very stressful thing and it can be very difficult um, to kind of find uh, community once you move um, oftentimes you move away from family and support we also had young children at this time so that becomes harder because you really don't have those grandparents that you can call on any time to come by, you know, and so there are additional stresses. And so I think for me, um, it was easier at the beginning. And then as time went on, um, it felt like a bigger sacrifice. Yeah, I can see that because I mean, not, and not only is it, are you dealing with all those stresses of a, of a new place without the support, uh, young children, but you're also doing it at a time when your husband is um, busy and probably not around that much, and and so you've lost all kind of support. Mm -hmm. But it, it it tends to be in times like that where, where we're under the most stress, where we're under the most pressure, that we have to find something else. We either find a, a way of coping, or we find some extra strength or extra energy. So I'm guessing. Um, this whole process, like you said, it's, it's, it's been a great ride, you know, it's been a difficult ride, but it's, you wouldn't swap it. So what have you gained from like those extra stresses and having to find more of you, more into your, your own? Yeah. So I think I've learned more independence. Like I, it's, it's, it's simple little things we might laugh at. Like I have no problem, you know, being alone in the house with the kids, 
you know, at night and now I can do it. I, you know, Josh can be gone for several weeks, which he has before at times. And I don't have a problem with that. You know, I've driven 15 hours across the country, no problem. You know, I just load the kids up. I take care of it. I've learned to use YouTube videos. If I need to learn how to fix something, <laughs> there's a YouTube video for that. So I've learned more handyman skills. There's just a lot of um, things like that. And then on an emotional level, I've learned more about myself, you know, um, what I can handle. I've learned to give myself the benefit of the doubt, not be so hard on myself. I've learned to let some perfectionism go. You know, maybe the house doesn't have to be clean. It's okay. Like, you know, the living room's clean. Let's hang out in the living room. We'll clean the other room tomorrow. You know, maybe we, um, we try to eat good food and feed ourselves well, but that doesn't mean on Friday night we can't order a pizza because dad's working and mom just needs a break, you know? So just learning to be kind to myself and not hold myself to some standard that I think the world is looking at me for, but just like trust my own decisions, be more confident with my parenting because I don't always have the second parent around. So just say, well, you know, I'm not going to talk to Josh about this. This is what I decided. <laughs> so the kid just lost their phone or, you know, lost a privilege or whatever, you know, like I have to call the shots more and um, just, just be more comfortable in my own skin. And I think that's, that's worth a lot. And I think it makes me a stronger individual. And so you might think, oh, well, then that might make the marriage dynamic weird or different. But I actually think like, when you show up as your best version of yourself, then you're able to have a stronger, better marriage as well, because you're more comfortable and confident with who you are. Okay. So my next question, you've sort of touched upon that but my next question is so so now josh is out of training and does that mean that he, he's about more like, like his schedule is less pressurized and, and he has more time at home and then how does that change things yeah so he is finally done with training and he's in a great job now where i'm happy to say that he does have more work-life balance. He still works a lot because he's in trauma critical care surgery. And so there's still some unpredictability because you never know what accidents will happen that day. And, you know, depending on um, car accidents, gunshots, whatever, he may end up working several more hours any given day. On the flip side, he may come home a few hours before you expected him. So it's still, you know, not a perfect science. But what's great is that he's doing what he loves and he's very happy to have have gotten himself to that point in his career for the dynamics of our relationship it's actually been kind of weird having him around so much more <laughs> i'm like because i was talking earlier about you know being a parent and calling the shots and just making the decisions and then all of a sudden he's back in the picture more and i'm like should i ask him his opinion <laughs> And so I find, I find it kind of funny, like, I'll, I, I tend to just say, oh, you handle this. And it seems to be interesting to watch him handle things. And then when he handles it differently than I do, that's when it's a challenge in the relationship, because I have a choice at that point, like, do I go tell him, like, that's not the way you should have handled it, blah, blah, blah. Or do I just bite my tongue and say, okay, they're getting dad 
you know, dad consequences instead. And that's fine. Like he's their parent. He can do it differently than I can. And it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And it's, it's interesting to be patient with each other as, because we do parent quite differently. Um, it, it, it is kind of an adventure when, when they come home. And I hear this a lot in military families too, um, where the military spouse is gone and, you know, they, they take care of everything. They're the ones paying the bills and mowing the grass and, you know, getting the kids to their activities. And then the second parent shows up and wants to be a part of those things, but it's almost like, I don't know where to fit you back in. It can be, it can be a hard transition sometimes. Hmm. Is that, is that something um, you find people need to, to talk about and resolve or, or is it something that you would do internally? Like, like in your case, was it something you discussed together or was it something you just got clear in your own head? And I think we've done both. I think there's been times where I've, been more aware of my thoughts about it and been able to kind of stop myself and, and like I said, bite my tongue and just observe what's going on and not try to correct. There's been other times where I've totally bombed and I, <laughs> I've yelled at him or gotten frustrated and said, what are you doing? You know, this is not how we do things. And then, and then he can be defensive and say, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. And then the last thing you want to do is model arguing in front of your children. And so then, you know, you have to discuss it later. And so, you know, we're certainly not a perfect couple. and We've had our, our fair share of discussing things. So I do, I do think for some couples, they struggle with it more than others. And I guess it's just probably individual personality and also expectations. Um, in some cases, I have heard spouses... Um, that I work with maybe come to me and say, okay, my spouse is home more. And so my expectation was they missed doing bedtime all those years and they would love to be doing bedtime with the children. But the thing is the spouse is home now and guess what? They're not doing bedtime. Like they don't even want to. And mm -hmm. so the spouse is extremely disappointed because in their mind, had they been there all those years, you know, they would have been doing bedtime. It's not necessarily true. Like, would they have ever done bedtime? Should they do bedtime? You know, and so that's when, when, you know, your expectations are different, then that's when the conversations really come in. Sometimes you can say, would you please do bedtime? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. You just needed to ask. Other times they're like, I don't know how you do that. You, you know what you're doing. You've already got your routine. You do it. And then then what? Then do you do it? Or then do you push back and say, well, wait a minute, you can learn. Like the reason you don't know how is you haven't been here and I would like some help, but you have to be vulnerable enough to have the conversation and say, it would mean a lot to me if you put the kids to bed, you know? Um, and then the, of course the other choice is that they don't put the kids to bed and you just get ticked off. And then later they're wondering why you're mad and not talking to them. Right. Mm. Okay, so that's that's brings up in my mind that Josh has been off and he's been busy and he's he's gone through all these different trainings and and gradually gone through different stages and developed um, and he's now in in his surgical role and and a role like that is kind of a role where everyone's treating you with respect and awe even um, and it's like you're you're the you're the man who's saving lives and like the miracle worker. 
And then I imagine at the same time, he's, you know, he's been busy, so he hasn't been as involved in the home. And suddenly he's got home and there's five boys running around. And he's, he, you know, maybe like you, you're having a, a night out or you're, you're away. And he's like, what do I do? Because he's, he's, he's attained this kind of level of respect in his work and in community. And then suddenly at home, he's like, I haven't developed those skills. Has that been a challenge for him? I think every surgeon should have five sons. That way they don't get big heads, right? Like, let's keep them all humble. Give them children, lots of children. Um, because your children are like, you do what? You know, they just don't, uh, they don't have, they don't have those filters to respect. It, Josh actually, he does a great job. Um, he does different things than I do. You know, he loves the out outdoors. I do as well, but he's more likely to, to go camping with them or, um, he loves rock climbing, so he'll do those types of activities. And one thing I will say, even during the training years, he made an effort to stay connected to the kids. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to stay connected. I think a lot of times people equate time with success in the family, and I think that can be really painful for people that work in high-demanding careers. And so I always try to encourage people that have high demanding careers, what can you still do to be connected to your family? Even short text messages can make a big difference in staying involved. One thing I did is I often, and everyone has the technology to do this, it's not expensive, you just, you can record an event, like a concert or a game that the spouse is missing and then later when they're home, you can watch, you know, the five minutes when your kid was actually on the stage or whatever, they can watch that with their child and the child can kind of explain to them what they were doing. And that can be a tender moment where they're still, they, yes, they were not at the event, but that doesn't mean they had to completely um, not be a part of that child's life or not be aware of what the child was doing. Um, and then sometimes I think, it just is a sacrifice for that working individual. You know, there were times when my husband probably should have been sleeping and he chose to stay up an hour later just to spend time playing with the kids, you know? And so when you choose to have a high demanding career and a family, you know, I think it's important that, that, you know, like, okay, so my husband, you know, during those years, he didn't do as much rock climbing. He didn't hang on to some of his friendships, you know, as much as he would have liked to, because he said, I've got work, I've got family friendships, you know, they, they come a little further down, you know, and that was a hard choice that he made, but, but it worked well in that I don't think his children, I don't think our children ever felt like, you know, dad wasn't around, you know, you can make that better or worse. Like it is possible to have, a happy family with a demanding job. And that's one of the things I try to teach. It's not necessarily easy, but it is possible. And there are things you can do to make it better or worse for sure. Yeah. I, th I think um, quality is so much more important than quantity because there's lots of people that spend lots of time, but they're just watching telly or they're playing games or something and not really mm -hmm. interacting, not really with the children. Um, so, just one other but so the, then the next part is so now you're a successful doctor's wife and 
there is you talked about the perceptions is that something that you've you've had to deal with like so each time you move to a new community and you, and you create and you're connecting with people and, and getting to know people is there misconceptions or those kind of things that you need to like have you learned how to deal with them yeah i think sure so i think that there are still those misconceptions but um and you know to to be honest maybe some of them hold true you know there probably are some physician families out there that have a lot of wealth and and live a different lifestyle but i would say the majority of us are not in that boat and just being honest about the experience you know um I have had times where people are like, what are your husband, what's your husband doing? I'm like, oh, he works at the hospital. But I don't necessarily volunteer in the first sentence that he's mm. a trauma surgeon because I have found that in some cases, unfortunately, it can intimidate people. Um, sometimes I think this can also be in the head, like in my head, right? Like I can think, oh, they're going to be intimidated. Why do I think that? Because at one point in my life, that was me. I didn't know anything about the medical community. I used to be, I remember the first time we went and had dinner with a bunch of um, attending physicians, I felt very out of place. You know, I just felt, I don't, I don't fit in here. You know, I'm not one of these people. I didn't, I didn't come from this certain background. I'm just somehow not supposed to be in this room. You know, I just felt awkward the entire evening, but that has changed over time because you know what? Physicians are just people, you know, they have problems, they have teenagers, they have debt, they have, you know, every type of marital problem as well. And so I think, you know, for me, when, when someone maybe has a judgment, what I try to do, if I feel like they're, they're maybe pulling away and not wanting to connect with me is then I, I just reach out again, because I know that I need to give them the benefit of the doubt too. They just don't know. They don't know me. They haven't had a friend who, you know, was a physician spouse in the past. And so it goes both ways, right? Like I can, I can be offended and say, well, they'll never be my friend because, you know, and I can blame them or I can blame myself and say, you know, you're not giving them a chance. They don't, they don't know. Why don't you tell them more about your life? Tell them how you've moved. Tell them that you have debt. Tell them that, you know, um, your kids are driving you crazy, you know, whatever, like bond with them because you have much more in common than you have, than you have differences. We've talked about the high levels of suicide, alcoholism, and, and the stress that comes with that, those kind of pressures. So this must be like your expertise, like how, how, how can people deal, people in relationships supporting them or, or people in them? How do you, how, like, what? Well, how do you deal with that? Oh, it's tough, right? Like um, in any relationship, you usually see those things, but um, they go unsaid for a long amount of time. What I encourage people to do is start the conversation. Um, if you notice that, um, for example, let's go with alcoholism. If you notice that they're drinking excessively multiple nights a week, and you start to be concerned, then I, I think it's time to have that conversation. Another thing you can do, I often encourage spouses to start attending a support group for yourself first. Get more tools. You know, there's a lot of um, things you can learn yourself that you can then bring back. 
Um, the, the truth of the matter is you can't force someone else to change. That's going to have to be their decision. And so you're going to need to equip yourself with good communication tools and, you know, kind of decide what, what are the boundaries, you know, is this at the point of, um, it might cause harm to me or the kids, then you're going to look at that very differently than, um, than if you don't feel that sense of harm coming your way. So it's a complicated subject and one that varies a lot depending on your relationship to start with. Um, so I think if you have open communication from, from the time you're married about alcohol and what your expectations are, then maybe 10 or 15 years into your marriage when it's a problem, you can say, hey, we always agreed that if either one of us ever had a problem, we, we could bring it up. Or we always agreed we would hold each other responsible to no more than two drinks, you know, or, or whatever. You know, you can kind of set um, those expectations up early in your marriage. So if you're listening to this and you're still young in your marriage, that's what I would encourage you to do. You know, talk about alcoholism and how you don't want that to be part of your life. And, you know, maybe just between the two of you, you could have like a code word or some kind of um, understanding that you were going to, you know, cut yourself off at a certain amount of drinks that you both agree to. And then as your marriage goes on, you, you check in with each other. And so then it's not this awkward taboo subject. Whereas if you've never discussed it at all, and now it's, it's a real problem, it's going to be really hard to talk about. Mm. So I would say frequent small discussions over time are much better than one big we must sit down and discuss this, you know? Okay. Just to take that like a, a little bit more detailed. So when someone is in that kind of place where they have that respect and that, and that, and people looking to them for, for advice and it must be really difficult to be vulnerable. Like the more you're in that kind of position, the harder it's going to be to be vulnerable. And obviously that depends on, personal circumstance and your previous relationship but do you is this something that you see in people you you talk to um that maybe the position that they're in um and feeling like they have they should have the answers and, and they shouldn't be questioned those kind of things that maybe that makes it more difficult in a relationship um Yes and no. So yes, I think that physicians can at times feel like they know it all, I guess you could say. And they, they might, they might know their symptoms. They might know they have a problem, but that's part of their frustration, right? They also might be aware of some of the things that would help them. But we have to remember that just like any of us, like you know, anyone overeating knows that they're probably not overeating on carrots and apples, right? You're probably overeating on foods that aren't good for you. But changing that behavior, if it was so easy, we all would have done it yesterday, right? And so it isn't as easy as it sounds. And so just because the physician knows what they should do doesn't mean that they're not struggling to do those things. And then when they get that um, dissonance, you know, those two ideas going in their mind, I think that can be a real battle for them. And that's why they often maybe hide their problems or attempt to hide their problems from their families and from society. Um, on the other hand, physicians 
um, don't always fall into the stereotype of knowing everything. In fact, a lot of physicians realize early on that they have a problem. And because they have had so many experiences seeing it play out in their patients' lives, they might more quickly ask for help. Um, that's probably doesn't happen as often, but in some cases they use it to their advantage. Hey, I've seen this before. I don't want to go down this road. I'm going to get help sooner rather than later. What I'd like to ask you now is what is what are the most common, what are the problems that you see most often? The common problems that I see are um, resentment over their career. If a, if a physician spouse hasn't felt like they have had a choice in the matter, you know, or they feel like they've given up their identity. Um, comparison sometimes comes up. So I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, I didn't even finish my four-year college degree and now I'm married to this physician. And I feel like just this disconnect educationally, you know, and maybe they feel um, like they, they need more education now to keep up with them or whatever. So there might be some comparisons going on. Loneliness can be a real problem um, depending on the hours that they keep and um, expectations again on what a marriage should look like. So those are the three that come up a lot, resentment, comparison, and loneliness. Um, financial matters actually come up a lot too because, um, like I mentioned, there there can be more debt than you expect and then money comes in and when there's money, you have to make decisions based on your values and many times couples disagree on where what what pile to put the money in. You know, what do we do first? Do we pay off debts? Do we buy a home? Do I, we need a new car? Sometimes there's a sense of entitlement like, hey, I've come this far, so I deserve X, Y, and Z. The other spouse may feel like, well, yes, but we're also behind on retirement, so shouldn't we focus on that first? So um, financial issues, um, you know, come up a lot. A lot of times I think it's funny people think, well, you don't have financial issues because you have more money coming in, but the financial problems are still there. Like, you still have to decide what to do with the money and, and um and figure it all out. So, so that can be um, a place of contention as well. And then the last thing I would say that sometimes comes up is um, you may feel like you've kind of lost your identity for a while because the parenting and the taking care of the home and kind of keeping everything running has fallen to one spouse kind of unproportionately. And so during that time, you may feel like you've lost your identity, particularly if you have given up a career um, for that. And so rediscovering um, who you want to be can be um, a neat exercise and can be a lot of fun, but can also be very difficult for people. They may feel like, well, I, that could have been me, but now it can't. So now what do I do? And so kind of that idea of, I never wanted to be just the doctor's wife. And now I've kind of painted myself into a corner where I feel like I'm just the doctor's wife because I've let so much of myself go. How can I, you know, come to rediscover what, what I like and what, what brings me joy, you know, independent of my spouse's career. Hmm. Okay. So, um, these are the kind of areas that we, where you coach people. Um, so like resentment, comparison, loneliness, what would be your just, I mean, I know it's a, it's a big subject, but what would be 
like the quick tips that you if you could could give someone in that position yeah i so what i like to do when i have when i coach someone is you know obviously i like to talk to them about their particular situation but a lot of just general ideas could be um really it's changing your mindset so like i mentioned earlier like if you feel like your spouse and medicine controlled your life and told you where you had to live then you weren't giving yourself enough credit because you chose to go there too you weren't thinking of it that way at the time you were thinking we have to go there but the truth is you chose to go there and so if i can help people realize that they do have the ability to make choices and they may feel well that's not a fair choice but hey it's still a choice you know what do you really want um and then a lot of times it's just think changing our thoughts and that will help us to create better feelings towards our spouse so if someone is feeling a lot of resentment because their husband's at work and they think he should be home then that can be a very negative thought and cause negative emotion whereas if you tell yourself like he's where he should be or a patient is thankful for his care or um, um, he would like to be with me as well you know then you start to feel um, you start to feel better because you're giving yourself better thoughts so I do a lot of thought work with people just depending on where they are and and help them kind of turn some of their thoughts upside down and and see is there another way we can look at this that's going to serve you better um, one, one thing that you sparked off there. So, um, for a doctor or, or, or whatever the profession, they, they get that sense that they're fulfilling who they're meant to be. And they get their sense of, you know, look, I've saved someone's life and I know I've, I've made someone's life better. Is there a sense of, um, that kind of same kind of sense of purpose or feel like I'm supporting him in, in doing this or her in doing this. Um, is that there that same kind of purpose do you see like from your own experience and from other people that you, you talk to? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, not very often does someone say, thank you for being a physician spouse because they are there at the hospital working and you're not, you, we might hear that for military, right? So thank you for serving in the military. We might hear that like for a police officer, you know, thank you for putting them in harm's way. Um, physician spouses, they don't hear that in the same way. Um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider it when we're having a hard time. So I think that is something important to say, like, because I'm allowing them to be at work on Christmas Day, you know, lives are changed, people are getting the care they need, and those families are thankful for that. One, one reason we don't hear it so much is because we have laws in place and privacy laws in place, and so we're not even always aware of what our physician spouse does. And they can't necessarily share it with us without, you know, going against certain um, restrictions that are put in place. And so I think that that um, allowing ourselves to explore the idea that, you know, my husband has been, you know, thanked and 
um, there are those that really appreciate the fact that he's working, you know, on this holiday. Um, it can help you to feel better and you can choose to let that help you feel better or to help you feel worse, right? Like, <laughs> but um, again, I think um, choosing how you're going to think about the situation makes the biggest difference. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's one, there's one other thing that comes up to mind. So, so in that sense where you have the comparison and the loneliness, it must also come into, it must play on people's insecurities. And especially if you're the one you're at home, you, you know, you're dealing with children all the time, whereas, uh, your partner may be in a more glamorous position. They might be meeting lots of new people. Um, and that must be something that plays on spouses' minds. Um, Certainly. And I think, you know, there is that gravitas of, oh, they're a, they're a physician, you know, and that certainly a stay-at-home parent wouldn't have. Now, a lot of physicians, of course, are married to very successful partners, doing amazing things, having amazing careers of their own, and there isn't that disconnect there. Um, but in some cases, there is. And the thing that I find that works best in those cases um, is simple gratitude. And I, I know that sounds like just the cop-out answer, but it goes so far. So anytime that the physician spouse, um, and this is just good marriage advice across the board, right? Like who doesn't want to be thanked for the little things? You know, thanks for doing the laundry. Thanks for, you know, the truth of the matter is we have to eat every day and most of us eat, you know, two, three, four meals a day. So it's like, Thank you for preparing that meal. You know, it's those little things, again, that I think add up over time. If you, so if I ever felt like Josh just expected me to do all these things, that doesn't feel nearly as good as him being grateful that I'm taking care of those things so that he can also be successful. Because not only does he want a career, but he also wants a happy family. So if he wants both of those things, then, you know, he recognizes like he can't have all that without, um, or at least it would be extremely hard to be a single parent in medical training. Like it would be darn near impossible. So like if you want a family and you want to go through training, like showing that gratitude to your spouse. Um, and that's something that when, when a spouse does that well, I think that is one of the biggest antidotes to resentment okay so um okay so we, so we talked about the main issues that you see so so oh, oh yeah before we get into that the, the the other question you've kind of touched on which reminded me is what about couples where they are both physicians or they're both in high powered and both what problems do you see there Ah, same thing. Comparison, right? Well, what kind of physician are you? What kind of physician are you? Well, who had to work more, right? Um, again, lack of gratitude. You know, that laundry still had to be done. Those couples still needed to eat. Who made the meal? You know, did you thank the person for taking care of that for you? Or did you just assume that they would do it? Um, and then there's also the further complication of, you know, um, whose job do you move for? Or like, can we both get a job somewhere? So 
keeping communication very open. Um, you know, those, those marriages in some ways have an advantage because um, a lot of people say, oh, they quote unquote get it. Like they know what it really takes, but they also have a disadvantage. And now that you have two people under that amount of stress and um, there, there can become a time where like physical location might be difficult during training and things like that. And so um, it can bring up new problems as well. So I think um, as with any marriage or relationship, it's going to take open communication and, uh, and, and some of the same problems are going to come up no matter what. Okay. Um, and so, as we said, you, you, you coach people. Um, so I'm just thinking of people who listen, who would be the kind of people who might be having some difficulties and might be benefit from your coaching? What, what situations might they be in right now? Yeah, so I tend to work with people that have gone through similar things that I have. Um, they just resonate with me and, and want to work with me. So I work with um, I work with males and females, but mostly females that reach out to me that feel that they have kind of lost their identity, that they they don't really know what they even want to do. They know they want to do something but they're not even sure where to start. They're like, do I go back to school? Do I start my art studio? Do I, I still have young kids at home. You know, I, I don't know if I should try to make money to pay down debt or if I should just focus on myself, you know, and they're just kind of like, stir crazy. And so hmm. I help them kind of identify what, what they like, what their goals are, um, and help them to kind of get, from this place of just feeling stuck and not able to make a decision to let's actually make a decision and do something and then, you know, evaluate it. And if it's not, not working, then let's, let's go back and, and try something new. So um, those are the people that I, I tend to work with the most, but people have reached out to me for help with their in-laws or help with their kids or all types of things. And um, I try to try to help them out with those things as well. Okay. Do you find most of those people, what they're really looking for is permission from someone? Um, so elaborate on that, like permission. So, so often the kind of circumstance you talked about is, is often that someone really wants to do that. Um, it's, it's like I talk to a lot of people that are like, do I stay in a relationship or do I go? And before they actually leave the relationship, they need to, to talk to someone and feel like it's okay. And it sounds like people, when people are often starting something or, or want to start something, it's like they feel that they're not allowed to, they feel that they need to get someone to say, it's okay, you can do that. Um, yeah. And they, often that's the thing that they're really looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it feels, I think we all need a cheerleader, right? We all need to feel like there's someone on our side. We all mm. need to feel like someone um, cares that we started, you know, someone, um, wants us to be successful. I think that does, that is a motivating factor and something that a lot of us are looking for is, um, you know, just support and, and feeling like, you know, what we do in our everyday small little worlds does matter. Okay. So, um, someone who's in that kind of situation, 
um, and they might be looking to work with someone. Uh, if they were to get in contact with you, what what would it what would it look like like you working with them? So the first thing I do is just talk to them for twenty minutes. <clears throat> we just do like a twenty minute call, and they kind of explain to me what's going on in their life, maybe some of their goals, or what 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 is their intention with working with me, and um, then from there I we we can choose different number of meetings and work towards you know um setting setting it up so someone that comes to me that's just like you know feels kind of stuck and that they've lost their identity a lot of times what we do with that is we start out by just doing some basic assessments like tell me what you loved to do when you were eight years old like what did you want to be when you were eight and it's kind of funny, like, that's actually how I started my podcast was I went through a series of questions. And one of the things that came up for me was when I was in elementary school, I really thought it'd be cool to be a news anchor and like be the person out there like passing the microphone around. And then um, I also liked communication classes and I liked, um, you know, I liked a little bit of writing, a little bit of speech, things like that. And so like, kind of, I started finding these commonalities and I thought, you know, it's kind of podcasting. Maybe I could do that. And so that's how I actually got into podcasting. So I like to do those same types of exercises with my clients. You know, what did you like when you were a kid? You know, what did you like when you were 12? What did you like when you were 16? You know, and, and then like, look for commonalities, look for those things that really bring you the joy, you know? And I also encourage them to do things like if they tell me they're an outside person, I often encourage them to just like, okay, okay, take your laptop outside and sit on your porch or sit in a chair in your driveway, wherever you can be outside and work on, you know, paying your bills outside today. You know, it's just little things like that, that can bring us a little more joy in our lives. Um, yeah. So it just, it just depends on their needs. I customize it to to help each person. Okay. That you, you just kind of preempted, uh, my next question was, was going to be about like, what made you start on this journey? Um, <laughs> trying to find my identity after, <laughs> after so many years of training. <laughs> yeah. And, um, okay. So, so that leads me to the next question, which is where, where, where do you see, like, where, where are you going to go from here? I'm not sure. So I've committed to doing the podcast um, and that's, that's a weekly show. So that keeps me pretty busy in and of itself. And then I'm hoping to just see with the coaching that's new. I haven't been doing the coaching the entire time of the podcast. So I'll see if that picks up um, or not. I hope to one day get my book written. I keep starting outlines and ideas. Um, so I probably need to do my own coaching on that, right? And get that done. Um, That's quite so a we'll, journey. We'll just is, see, yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that on being married to, to a doctor or? Yeah, I think I would write it towards um, probably some kind of like self-help through the training years type of, type of experience. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've recently started my podcast, so I'm interested in how's your journey been on the, on the podcast? What? What have you learned? What has been the, yeah, what's your experience? 
Yeah. So it's funny when I started the podcast, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm just going to have to like come up with stuff to say and it's going to be me talking. And then I decided, you know, I'd like to hear from other people because, you know, I'm a female married to a male. I certainly don't represent every type of relationship that's out there. You know, we're kind of that stereotype. And I thought, you know, that's not good. I need to be more diverse. And so I started asking people to be on my show so I could have, you know, different races and religions and sexual orientations and just different types of people on my show. And it's been really successful as I've reached out. I've been surprised at um, the feedback and people willing to be on the show and share their story, share their experience. And it's been good because some people choose not to have children and we did, you know, and why did they make those choices? And so just having that wide variety of people on the show has been, I think, helpful for the listeners and also really insightful for me to just learn, you know, what do other people think and what are the commonalities that we have? Um, and I find that we do have quite a bit in common, even though you might think we don't, because um, a lot of those same feelings come up for us. And so that has been a lot of fun. And it's, yeah, the podcast is actually just, um, it's been a good project. It's been good to put together. And I've, I've been happy with the response. I, you know, I didn't know if people would be like, oh gosh, a doctor's wife, really? There's a podcast about that. <laughs> but I think the people that think that probably don't listen to it, right? So the people that listen to it are in fact married to physicians mm. or dating them and, and they're happy that it's there. So mm. it's been a lot of fun. No, I, I, remember, I remember seeing the title and thinking, wow, that's really specific. But, it, but I think that's its strength because it speaks to a, a, a certain group of people. You understand their... Uh, dilemmas and their problems inside out and so it's so specific that it's able to be really beneficial to a certain group of of people sure it's never going to be super huge you know because um just because there's only so many people that that fit into the category to start with but within that category i think i think it can definitely be beneficial and you know I'm happy with it and its size and I hope it keeps growing and more people find it, but um, I'm just happy it's, it's been going for, I guess, 83 episodes now. So pretty wow. happy about that. Yeah. Well, that's great. Cause uh, yeah, I mean, one of the difficulties in something new, especially something like podcasts is, is they tend not to, people tend to give up too early. Mm -hmm. So, so that's great. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to produce many more things to come so one last thing where can people so we talked about who you can help what kind of situations and how that would look now where is the best place for them to get in touch with you and find out more sure so my website is married to doctors.com i'm on instagram and facebook at married to doctors so pretty easy to find yeah just look for me married to doctors it'll come up <laughs> Okay. Okay, Lara, that's great. Thank you for, for sharing with us. Yeah, I appreciate your time. You. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob McPhillips, and I'm here to help you navigate your relationships more successfully. Go to relationshipgpsproject.com to find answers to your relationship questions or ask new ones.